I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ahoy, hello, welcome along to a brand new episode of Writer's Routine. This week we're chatting to Ava Glass. Her new book is the first of the Alias Emma series. It's called The Chase. We talk through why she wanted to treat writing like a regular job, but then had to mix things up along the way. Also, why it's always good to listen to advice from Stephen King. And you can hear about the big switch up that really helped her plan her day around her writing. I write differently all the time. I used to write late at night. I can't seem to do that anymore. At least not right now. My energy levels aren't the same. I write really well in late afternoon. And so I want to take advantage of that. So I block out my afternoons. Nobody can schedule me a, an interview or a, you know, an appointment. I won't go see my dentist during those hours. Those are my writing times. And I literally block them in my calendar um, because that's that's going to compress my time and it just plays to my strengths. So I say, listen to Stephen King, find your, um, find your time and trust it. Don't worry. You don't have to write like anybody else writes. If the best time for you is two in the morning until six in the morning and you don't mind that, amazing. I, I wish that was me. I would love to do that. Find your time and write then. There is more with Ava Glass in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, welcome along to the show. My name's Dan Simpson. This is Writer's Routine, where we take a look through an author's working day and space to see how they plan everything out to give them the best chance of getting their ideas into words, getting it down, and then hopefully published. Now, this week's episode is brought to you by Plotter. I'm very excited that for a little while, Plotter are helping to power this show, just like they can power your writing. Plotter is a writing tool that does what the title says. It plots. It helps you plan your books the way that you think. It lets you outline faster, organize smarter and turbocharge your productivity. Now, when you get the software open, you get a digital corkboard. It's right there in front of you where you can easily swap between the timeline, the outline, your notes, details on characters and places, and you can even tag all of it to make it much easier for you to skim through and for you to find what you need. And it just it's a really straightforward, uh, intuitive, simple way for you to get your ideas, to put them down in a straightforward manner to help you do the most important thing, which is to write the story. And all of it is colour-coded, as it might be in a notebook. And if you're a very visual writer if you like to see everything that's going on 
if you like it to be wherever you want it to be quickly in the simplest possible way plotter is perfect for that it also allows you to track all the details of your plot at a, a, a thorough scene level and then switch swap and use them however you like that's the basic idea of plotter to give you a really manageable way to plot your stories but it goes even deeper than that if you're having trouble getting an idea into a manageable plot thinking where it can go from where you have it well they can help you out too it has more than 30 proven plot templates to kickstart your story planning just to give you some ideas to snap everything into life what might happen next where it might go the arc of your character's journey and look we've spoken on this podcast about many different types of writing software and the best part is this works with all of them. You can import and export from Word and Scrivener to seamlessly transfer your story into some tech that helps you flesh it out further and actually write the thing. Plotter helps you spend time writing and less time worrying about everything else. I think if you're anything like me, I know that us writers... We spend a lot of time faffing, don't we? Faffing about the, the, the window dressing of simply getting ideas and words onto the page. And Plotter really helps out with that. It helps you strip it back into what's important and what you need to focus on. Now, the best way for you to see what it does and how stunning it looks is by taking a look around and finding out how helpful it can be over at Plotter.com and just flicking through all the features that they've got on there. And there are quite a lot. And how about this? Because they are supporting the show for a little while, you can get 10% off the software with this show too. Which means that for under £20, it's $22.50, which at the moment is around 18 quid. you can get access to this software forever to help you plan and plot your story and to make you organise smarter and outline faster. To get that deal, have a look around and use the link that is in the episode notes of this show. It's go.plotter.com slash routine. That's go.plotter, spelled P-L-O-T-T-R dot com slash routine. Let's get into this week's writer's routine then. We're chatting to Ava Glass. Ava's new book is The Chase. It's the first of the Alias Emma series. In the UK, it's released as The Chase. I think in the States, it's released as Alias Emma. Uh, It's already been Amazon's book of the month. It's already been optioned for TV. It tells the story of a young female spy who has 12 hours to smuggle a Russian target across London. It's almost a love letter to the city. We talk about how she made everything happen in just a day, how that was believable, and how she had to use unknown London geography to make it work. Also, you can hear why she edits as she goes on and simply why changing the time of day in the story helped her unclog a huge block that she was faced with. How jumping forward in her adventure made things much clearer for where her character would end up. Now, this is interesting. Ava used to work with spies. She spent a lot of time being around the mechanics of that world of work, which does help bring a massive reality to the genre because it could often feel so grand can't it spy stories so highfalutin and i guess fake when i was chatting to ava it did make me wonder was she a spy no you can't ask that and even if you do ask that you ain't gonna get a straight answer that's kind of the point i think but it seems that i'm not the only one uh on her website she's written a whole blog post saying who am i ava glass uh, I'm not a spy. 
<laughs> give it a read if you get a chance it's a lot of fun we cover a lot in this podcast I think you'll really enjoy it let's dive into it with Ava Glass and we start as always with what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write I write almost anywhere now. I had a really specific routine when I first started. I have a shed at the foot of my garden um, that I had built, I guess, about four years ago, specifically because our house is too small for me to have an office in it. And my stuff was just taking over the dining room. So I built the shed. I moved out there into this little cabin. And it's the perfect place to write, really, because it's very quiet. Um, almost too quiet. And I have a little wood burner in it. So on days like today, I can start the fire and then um, come inside until it does its magic and then go back out there once it's warm. Um, and then over the last couple of years, I started finding it just a little um, isolating suddenly. And I found I started writing better in places with people around me. So I started taking my laptop to coffee shops once they reopened after the pandemic. And um, on trains and finding that I wrote better when there was distraction around me. So I do a bit of both now. Most days I go down to the foot of the garden, um, not a very big garden, into a shed, not a very big shed. And I sit by myself and um, write in isolation. But the next day I, I would happily go to a Cafe Nero and be absolutely surrounded by noise and write even better there. You designing this writing space your your own space it might not be that grand a space as you've said but it's your own space a cabin at the bottom of your garden when you knew that you wanted it for that purpose what did you want around you what did you think would help you write the best locked away in a cabin it's um it's funny when i was pitching the idea of having it to my husband <laughs> the expense of building it and the time and so forth um I, I kind of um, threw Virginia Woolf at him. I said, <laughs> I think um, I need a place of my own um, to sort of be surrounded by just my things. So my books, my art, um, my some of my belongings. I have this old manual typewriter that I bought for absolutely no reason, but occasionally type on um, because I just enjoy the um, the tactile feel the feel of it, the, the clicking of it, the sinking of the keys, the whole thing. Um, but there's no room for that. There's no space for that in, in like a shared house. And, um, and it turns out that I love it. I love having those things around me center me. I have a piece of art my mother gave me when I left um, Texas when I was very young, which is where I grew up. Um, and I have a few things that I brought over with me when I moved to England 22 years ago. And so it, it kind of traces my life in this one space. And when I'm working on a book, I can surround myself with research, with things that connect me to that character, to that world of the book. And um, yeah, it allows me just to sink into something in that way. And are, are you heavily plotted around you? Is there much planning going on? I would imagine... If you're doing perhaps one day in the cabin, one day in a coffee shop, you need to have everything that you need to write just on one laptop. Mm, yes, I, I generally I do my research first and then write. So I don't tend to take research with me once I I get started on a on a on a new book. So I've I've written two books in this series. Now the second book comes out in August. Um, so I'm a little ahead of everybody, but um. The research for this is 
is because it, it's based on real, the current series is based on real life. It's based on things that actually happen to people. So, and, and because I read newspapers quite voraciously, I have a lot of the research in my head and there's a lot of invention, but still I read a lot of spy fiction to kind of get myself in, in the space to write about, to write an espionage novel, to write about that stuff. So that stuff I do in advance and then I set it aside. And I do think one of the keys to writing generally is to do your research and then walk away from your research and write your book. And so I don't take much with me when I, when I go off to write. You say that you found your writing better in the busyness and noise and distractions of a cafe. Why, why do you think that might be? I don't know. It's so funny because um, I have, like, I can reveal <laughs> the unsurprising fact that I have written other books under another name before. And so these are Ava Glass is a new um, pseudonym. So in the past, when I was writing crime fiction under another name, um, the isolation really helped me. The silence really helped me focus. And then just suddenly when I started writing espionage and espionage is very plot heavy and very um, multi-layered and it requires enormous concentration not to lose, in my experience anyway, not to lose threads or characters or to make sure it's going to work everything that you're putting into place. It's a giant puzzle, every book. For some reason, having distraction around me was helpful and I couldn't tell you why. Maybe it's because it's quite daunting and intimidating. And if you're surrounded by people, then it's, it's less, it's less scary and you can just focus. I can just focus on what I'm doing and, and have some faith that it will, it will work. You're writing better when you're in a coffee shop, but is it, is it quality over quantity when you lock yourself away because it's you in solitude? Do you find that you can absolutely crack out the words, but maybe they're not as good as they might be with distractions? How does that balance out? I think you're absolutely right. When I get to the end of the book, and where I always tend to write much faster than at the beginning of the book, um, I do like I do come back to the to the little office in the garden and close all the doors so that, that I can just type a thousand miles an hour and have zero distractions. Um, it seems to be when I'm plotting, even though I do plot in advance, but still, as as I write at the beginning of a book, I'm detangling my plot. I'm, I'm assessing my plot. I'm deciding if that plot is going to work. Um, and so at that beginning, I'm writing slower. My mind's going all over the place. And maybe it's just a kind of um, complicated procrastination that takes me to the coffee shop because I can look up and, and I can think, oh, I'm not on the internet, so I'm not wasting time. I'm just people watching, which is very important to my art. Um, <laughs> but when I get towards the end and I know exactly where I'm going and the train is, you know, heading towards the station of its, you know, the destination of the book, I, um, I don't want distractions. I just want to finish it. I want to get to that ending. So yes, yes. When I'm writing quickly, I don't, I don't do it in a coffee shop. I get up at 7.30 pretty much every day. It's sort of, I wake up even if the alarm doesn't go off. And I tend to have coffee and sort of not have breakfast right away. And do my mornings are for admin. And so I just go through my emails, the things from yesterday that I hadn't looked at, the annoying things like letters from my accountant or whatever, people who want, you know, something that I was supposed to do but haven't done. Um, and I do all that first thing over coffee. And um, I give myself really until noon to get all that completely done. And I don't worry about writing. I don't even look at it. I ignore it. 
And then generally after lunch, I tend to sit down. That's when I sit down to write. So around 1.30, something like that, I put everything away. I turn off my email. I put my phone on silent. And um, then I sit down and read over what I wrote the day before. I do that first. And then I edit that um, again. So I go, I tend to meddle. So I'll meddle with that and I'll, I'll polish it until I, there's nothing in it that, that upsets me <laughs> and I feel better about it. And then I'm in the place and usually I'm fired up at that point and I will write straight through. I try to write for an hour without stopping when I first start, then go get a cup of tea and then come back and try not to read it over at that point, but then to write for another hour and do the same thing. So I write in bursts of an hour. I usually have jazz playing. For some reason, I really like to write with jazz playing. Um, so I usually have that playing very quietly. My dog is usually sitting on the chair either with me or the chair directly across from me. Um, and so he's snoring, the jazz is playing, and um, and I'm powering through in hour-long bursts, broken up by cups of tea and occasionally biscuits. And that um, I stop at seven. At seven, I try never to write past seven because I have in the past written, you know, stopped to get something to eat and then written till midnight. But I just don't seem to have that in me anymore. I get tired and I know my words aren't as good. And so I make myself stop and I make myself stop regardless, I, I don't like to finish. I actually learned this from Stephen King from his book on writing. He says to set a point to stop and then just do it. Even in mid-sentence, in mid-flow, even if you know where you're going, just stop. And so that's what I do. I try not to write, stop at the end of a chapter, but in the middle of everything, because that helps me pick it up the next day. And um, yeah, that's that's it. After that, I try not to look at it again until the next, the next afternoon. That's some effort of writing a day then if, if you're kind of doing from one o'clock to seven o'clock so six hours interspersed with some breaks that's quite it, that's quite th thorough going uh, is there an aim for that time how do you know what you want to get done or is it just a case of writing until seven and then you stop basically it is writing until seven and then i stop but at the beginning i do set i mean i do set word count goals for myself just to make sure that I'm getting somewhere. Cause I, I do a lot of editing, you know, like as I go, I do a lot of deleting and changing my mind. So at the beginning of a book, I can write for six hours and come up. So say, say chapter one to three, I might write for six hours and have 500 words. And that's fine. If I get 500 words in chapter one, two, three, four, 500 words are golden. I don't, I don't mind that at all. And then when I'm beyond chapter seven, say, I expect to have a thousand words a day generally out of those six hours. And then after chapter sort of 15, chapter 20, I expect to have 2,500 words a day sort of minimum because I, I, I'm on it. I'm on track at that stage and I'm deep into it. And I'm not developing character. I'm not complicating the plot. I'm not looking for problems. I just, I'm just going. And so then, and towards the end, I expect to do more than 3000 words a day if it's really going well. And I have done one magical time, 10,000 words in a day, but that was only once and it has never come back to bless me again. <laughs> um, I actually don't think my hands could take it. <laughs> Why do you think the start is so much tougher? You allow yourself that, uh, you ease the burden on yourself by saying, well, 500 words a day is absolutely fine when I'm in the first few chapters. Why is it harder? And can you actually feel the weight slightly lift as you're able to get 
two and a half thousand words a day, you can feel your fingers going at it. Yeah, absolutely. That first 2,500 word day is, is when I know I'm okay. When I get to that first day where I write that many words, then I feel safe and confident in this book. And I think the slow writing, at least for me, is I'm still finding my feet and I write only series. I've never, I don't really write standalone novels. I try to, and then they just turn into a series. So I do have the sort of blessing of knowing my characters. Um, when I come into a book, I already have written usually in their world before, but I'm coming back to them and I'm giving them a new, a new challenge, a new situation. Each book is different. And particularly with my espionage novels, I write each book like a standalone. There's not really a story arc running through it that's major. In, in my crime novels, uh, there was always an arc through the series that I had to, to maintain. But with espionage, each, each one is, is, it works as a standalone. But I still have these same characters. So when I first start writing in a, a new novel, I'm still finding that voice and I want to get the voice absolutely right. Voice is really important to me and the consistency of that voice. I want my characters to sound like the same people from book to book. And I'm also, I've got a whole new plot and, and I try to be as complex as possible with my plot or as intense with it. Um, in Alias Emma, the, the first book, it's, it's less plot heavy because it's a, it's a, it's a race of a novel. It's a, they're under, she's under fire from the very beginning and she's just trying to get through 12 hours alive. And so that's the first time I've ever written one of those. So I've never, because I've never done it before, that took time for me to get used to that pace, the constant high intensity pace of it, um, which is actually surprisingly difficult to keep up. You know, it's your, my natural inclination as an author is to put in downtimes and backstory. And, and I didn't, I don't have much of that in the chase. So, but in most novels and in the second novel, there's a very complicated plot. And so making sure that's going to work, making sure I'm getting the pace right at the beginning, making sure my character voices sound right, making sure it all makes sense. Um, it's very fiddly and I go back a lot and I change my mind a lot and I move chapters around a bit. So it slows me down. That's why it's so slow at the start. But by the time I get to chapter six, um, I have faith in it. And some of it I think might be having said that aloud, the faith part, um, I, I think some of it is psychological. It's just, I doubt myself at the beginning and I, I'm questioning everything at the beginning, but once I've got my feet and I'm on the move, then I don't have the doubt just evaporates and I'm just worried about the words and I focus on the words. When you are worried about the words, and as you mentioned, you are fine to take it easily at the start. Uh, is there a point when you are actually worried when you're thinking, you know, you're 10 or so chapters in and you're thinking, right, I, I need to get these words down now. I need to force myself to do it. Whereas at the start, you might have given yourself uh, a slightly easier time. Absolutely. I mean, as it goes along, I'm much harder on myself, I guess, is is the way to put it. I'm much more critical if I'm not focused and the working, the writing isn't moving. I try to finish a first draft in under four months. So if you allow for, you know, days off, doctor's appointments, life, going to the gym, the stuff that gets in the way of it, um, it, to me, um, it, it can be a bit of a, a, a bit tricky hitting the deadline, but I, I feel like I have to, I feel like I have to write with a certain amount of speed, 
so that I'm keeping the threads that I sort of began weaving um, with chapter one fresh. They're, they're in my mind. They're clear. I know where they're going. I know what I'm what I'm stitching together in this book. If it takes me too long to write a first draft, I think it would be disjointed from the beginning to the end. I would lose something that I would have to then make up in the editing and then I'd have to edit very quickly because I feel like at various stages, I try to read the book that I'm writing like a person reads it. So most people read my books in a day. Sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll review them and they'll say, I read it in a day. And if you read something in a day, you're going to catch things that an author and an editor working over months would miss. So I do try to work quickly enough that I see those things as I go along and, and I catch them so that the reader doesn't catch it, doesn't, isn't the one who finds out that the thread got dropped somewhere. It's interesting because you would think it would be the opposite, that if someone's reading in a day, maybe they're lightly, like, well, they're brushing the surface of the plot. As, as opposed to getting in, in deep, as you and an editor might do in the months beforehand, checking things through. That's amazing how that works out. I think both are true. I think when you work slowly and methodically, you catch certain things and you are, um, you're doing a different job in a way. Uh, you're, you're much deeper into it and you're catching the deep things. You're finding the deep problems or the deep um good things in the book. Um, but I think when you read it quickly, when you do skim it, then you see a different level. It's sort of like if you, if you fly, um, at 10,000 feet, you can see these things in the soil that you can't see when you're literally standing on the ground. And that's, so you need to do both. In my opinion, you need to both be on the ground looking at the grass around you. And then you need to get up, um, in a plane and go skim over it high up so you can see that topography. You can see the things that you can't see when it's right when you're in the woods. So I need both. And I, I try to do like, so writing is naturally slow and three months to four months to write a draft. I mean, to some writers sounds fast, but I used to be a journalist. So to me, um, it still seems a bit slow. It's frustratingly slow. Um, and then reading, but reading it very quickly. So reading it all over, over a weekend or reading it as quickly as I can while catching things. I also think you should do both. I just feel like you should read it like a reader at some point in the process. The way that you have planned your day, I have to say is quite different from quite a lot of other writers that I've chatted to. And certainly I, I probably wouldn't work well like this. The fact that you get your admin done early and then you're creating late on. How, how much is that uh, a refined plan because you know when your energy works best. I suffer from an afternoon slump massively. Uh, how much have you learned the way that you work through years of writing? Yeah, it's funny. I When I first started um, writing, I had a full-time job. And so I wrote in my spare time. So my first novel was written on trains in the morning and on the train back home. And then after work, if my husband was cooking dinner and then before we went to bed, I would try to get in an hour here and an hour there. And it took maybe, I think doing it that way, it took about five or six months to write my first novel. And um, <clears throat> I kept working full-time while writing my second novel and part-time while writing my third. So I got used to writing around the rest of my life. 
and and also to writing quickly, which I'm comfortable with because of my background as a reporter where you have to write quickly. And I was just trained to write quickly. It suits me to write just to type as fast as I can. So, um, so when I quit my job, um, and started writing full time, uh, I wanted to work like as, as a, like it was a job, like it was a business. And so I would sit down at nine in the morning with a cup of coffee and my computer in front of me and like, here I go. And I would not write anything. I would futz about, I would stare at it. I would go do something else. I'd find myself on Twitter. I would, Instagram, a picture of my cat. I would do anything other than write until about, and then it would be lunchtime. And I would think I've wasted half a day. I've just wasted it. Just sitting here, frittering it away. What's wrong with me? And then in the afternoon, when I came back to my desk, I would write just fine. And I'd write 2000 words in a few hours. And and I did this. I have not, years I did this. And I sat at that computer until my back ached. And then it just occurred to me, I'm, why, why am I doing this in the mornings when I don't, I can't write in the mornings. I'm no good in the mornings. That's not my thing. I'm not creative in the morning. So I just accepted that. And that took time, literal years before I, I'm stubborn and I wanted to make myself do this. Um, so I read Stephen King's book, actually. I read on writing and that's, and he basically says, write what's best for you. He writes first thing in the morning. He writes from 6am until 10am, I think. I mean, it kills me that he does this. And it kills me that after that he's finished and he goes like walking around and biking into the beach. I'm so jealous. I would love to be able to write like that. But he, his advice is accept how you write. This is how he writes. And he's accepted that he wakes up at five in the morning and the story's in his head and he needs to get it out. And so he does. And then he's made it work. And so I've made it work my way and my way is afternoons. And as if, look, if I can get it done, if I can get to 2000 words in a couple of hours and feel happy, I stop and I give myself that um, gift. Like, oh, you get most of the day off. Hooray, you're Stephen King today, Ava. Today's your day. Um, But most days it takes me the few hours. It takes me you know, all that five to six hours of writing to get to the end of it. Um, and it does change as you, as you change, as you age, I've been doing this now 12 years. Um, and I write differently all the time. I used to write late at night. I can't seem to do that anymore. At least not right now. My energy levels aren't the same. I write really well in late afternoon. And so I want to take advantage of that. So I block out my afternoons. Nobody can schedule me a, an interview or a, you know, an appointment. I won't go see my dentist during those hours. Those are my writing times. And I literally block them in my calendar um, because that's that's going to compress my time and it just plays to my strengths. So I say, listen to Stephen King, find your, um, find your time and trust it. Don't worry. You don't have to write like anybody else writes. If the best time for you is two in the morning until six in the morning and you don't mind that, amazing. I, I wish that was me. I would love to do that. Find your time and write then. Am I right that your, your partner is also an author? Is that right? Well, he's mostly a filmmaker. He wrote a novel um, to both of our surprise, and it's really good. He wrote a historic uh, crime novel called The Lost Diary of Samuel Pepys, which came out, I guess, about six months ago. And um, yeah, it's interesting because he had it in his head and he told me about it and he pitched it to me like a film. His name is Jack Dewars, by the way, if anybody's looking for this this book, which I highly recommend because it's very good. It's a rollicking historic crime. Um, he pitched it to me as a film and I thought it would be better as a book. 
And he didn't want to write a book because books are too slow. And in film, you just go film. And and screenplays are so short. You know, screenplays are like 100 pages and you're done. I'm so ugh, endlessly envious of screenwriters. Um, but this didn't really work for screen on it on in theory it just seemed like such a good book so and it took him much longer than it would take me because he had to do it around his film work but um yeah yeah so we're now sort of novelists together (laughs) what's that like creative writing discussions over the dinner table that's amazing actually i feel so lucky i mean we've always had that because we're both creative people and he is a voracious reader so he's always the first reader of my books and always has been and he's the one who made me write my first novel because I didn't think I I could I didn't think I've never really believed everybody has a novel in them I'm a complete cynic and I kept telling him I am the one I am one of those people who does not have a novel in me um but I tell a lot of stories and I I just have issues with having faith in myself. And he was the one who said, you know, your stories are really good. You should try writing one of them down and um, didn't give up. So I do the same for him. We, you know, I, I watch his films over his shoulder when he's editing. We talk them through. I write scripts for him from time to time, or I contribute to dialogue to scripts because dialogue is my main obsession. I, I hate bad dialogue. I, I have a really good ear, I think, because I was a reporter for so long and listening is basically what a reporter does. So I'm good at that. So really, we, um, we do play to each other's strengths a lot. Um, he's great at plotting. I'm amazing like at dialogue some of the time anyway. And yeah, it's, it's, I feel really lucky. When the words aren't coming out for you, even though there might not be that much pressure that they do get out, but when you are struggling in the afternoon, uh, what have you learned? It kind of helps, I guess, grease the wheels of the, the, the block. Could you take a walk, a, another cup of tea, a, a particular bit of jazz at a certain time? Well, I will try all the distractions. So I'll go for a walk because often um, I don't listen to anything on a walk. I don't do anything except walk my dog and and think. And so my brain, I try not to make myself think about whatever is 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 the sticky problem that I'm that I'm trapped with. I just wait for it to to come to me, for it to my brain to to work it out on its own. Um, and hopefully that happens quickly. Usually. It happens quickly, but I'm quite also tactical about it these days. I don't really wait for a muse. If I get stuck, I try techniques. And the main one is moving forward in time. So if I can't write something and it just won't write, then sometimes it's just not meant to be written. That's my feeling. And I'll jump forward two weeks or a day or six hours and see where my character would be then. So I'll just more or less skip whatever is blocking me and see if 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 changing the time or the place fixes the problem. So for instance, when I was working on my third novel that I wrote under my other name, um, and it started, the, the second novel ended with the death of a very close friend of the main character, and this was in a series. And I found when I sat down to write that that character, who was one of the major characters in the book, was super important. She brought light to the story. She was the humor in the story. And I suddenly was as sad as my main character about losing her. And it became this really miserable slog for me and my main character, just trying to get that book going. And there was no light to it. There was no life. 
And I, I, it took me months. Like, I think I wasted two months trying to make this work and I hated everything I was writing. And then finally, it occurred to me to just jump forward three months and give my character and my character would then have processed some of her grief. And then she could be getting on with what would needed to happen next. And when I did that, it just, it just took off. And I wrote that book in two months. Like I wrote it so fast. So it, sometimes that can be the key. And I try not to ever let it take as long as that took. I don't ever want to be properly blocked. I think you have to find a way around it quickly because you get really in the weeds psychologically. If you can't write for days, much less weeks, it's, you start to think this is forever. People do get blocked forever. Um, I know of them. Shelby Foote, this American writer, famously was blocked for most of his life. And he, <laughs> that's just terrifying. He had to switch to nonfiction. He could not write fiction. He became so blocked. He simply couldn't do it. And because I know that, I know, move quickly, change everything, find, get your way out of that quickly because you'll just get, you can get trapped in that. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We'll be back with more from Ava in just a second. Thank you so much to Plotter for supporting the show. If you would like to support the show, if you'd like to help us out, to hear from more of the best authors around as often as we can do it for you, uh, patreon.com forward slash writers routine is where you need to go by becoming a backer, by pledging to support us. You're helping us out. You're, help, uh, you're helping us uh, keep bringing you these chats as often as possible. Uh, for that, you get bonus content, there is merch, there is even a way for your book to sponsor the show, and we have chats over on our Patreon page too. And it doesn't need to be a lot, please, I know times are tight. For just a few dollars a month, you can help this carry on. It shows your support, it shows that you listen to the show, that you thank us for what we do, and that you've learnt some tips along the way. If you have learnt anything along over 250 episodes now, I think, that has just tweaked the way that you write, if you enjoy the, the guests that we bring you. The best way to help us is by backing the show, by pledging to help us out and supporting us over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Remember, I'm still after the best book that you've read so far this year, making a nice little 
list of recommendations from your suggestions that you can find it's there right now at writersroutine.com and it is already stuffed full of ones to add to your pile for 2023 let's get back to it shall we with ava glass talking about her new novel the chase a spy has to take a wanted target across london in less than a day without being discovered and in the 21st century with cameras everywhere it's quite tough we talk about how ava made that possible how the logistics of quickly travelling through a huge city without being noticed became much clearer to her (laughs) as she wrote on. Also, you can hear how she got to know her characters through flashbacks. And we dive back in talking about the very first idea for the novel, The Chase, how it all started furiously on a plane ride. So I had to go to New York to go to a... I was going to be on a panel at a at a book festival. I will not name, and I, nobody came to my panel. There were like six people at this panel. It was a complete failure. I went all the way to New York to talk to six people. It was ridiculous. Anyway, I didn't know this yet, but somehow I think I sensed it. So I was on the flight. I was by myself, and I. I was drinking a lot of wine, which I also don't usually do on planes. I just think I didn't want to go to New York and I'm trying to like distract myself. And they were showing Speed, the film Speed. It was when they were showing lots of films, but this film from the 90s with Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves. And I hadn't seen it in decades. And I thought, ooh, Keanu Reeves, (laughs) I'll watch this and it will be fun. And it is good. Like the nice thing about it is it holds up. It is a great plot. I am so impressed by whoever came up with this idea. It's just genius. The bus, there's a bomb on a bus. And if it goes under 50 miles per hour, everybody on the bus will die. The bus will explode. And um, Keanu Reeves is the cop who has to get on the bus and rescue Sandra Bullock. And everybody may have seen this film. I'm just saying, in case you haven't seen it, Sandra Bullock is driving the bus because the bus driver's been shot. And she has had so many speeding tickets, as it turns out, that she's not allowed to drive anymore. And I love that twist. Anyway, I was watching it thinking, I want to write a book like this, but I want to gender flip it. Because what if the woman was a cop and a guy was driving the bus? And how would that work? How would that dynamics of that work? And and also, it can't be a bus because that's taken and everybody's seen speed. So what could it be? Like, what kind of impetus? I've not read a book that's in that compressed time and and that and that has, you can't slow down, that has that relentless speed to the plot. That's what I wanted. And... I thought, what if she wasn't, I don't want to do cops because I don't want to do procedural. Procedural is really hard. There's lots of rules and I don't want to learn them. I don't, it's a different, it's a very specific thing. Um, But I did want to write it from the perspective of whoever was this, 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 this figure of authority. Anyway, so I thought, what if it was spies and bomb spies that go together? Um, And I started um, plotting it out on the plane. It was a very long flight. And by the time it landed, I had a one-page synopsis about a spy who has to rescue the son of Russian dissidents who lives in London and has never lived anywhere else. He can't remember. He was born in Russia, but he's grown up in in England. He's basically British. He is British. Um, But his parents were spies. They were Russian spies. And um, the FSB is coming for them. And he doesn't want to be rescued. And she's got to get him to MI6 headquarters before they get to him. 
and she has 12 hours. And that was the beginning of it. And it was sort of loosely based on the Skripal murders, uh, not, well, assass- the attempted murders of the Skripals had happened in Salisbury. And that got me thinking about ex-spies and the children of spies and what it, you know, how much of that goes on, because a lot of that has been going on in London of, of Russians and uh, Russians who betrayed Russia in the in the mindset of the current Russian government, um, being killed for revenge. And um, I know for various reasons, it's obvious the government's trying to protect them, but but it's tricky. And so that was the beginning. That was it. That's how it started. Uh, very simply then, what happens next? You've got this idea. You want a, a very fast-paced chase of a novel. You mentioned earlier that you do your research and your planning first. Um, how thorough is all of that? How, how much of the general plot do you know before you start writing? With crime novels, I will usually write a fairly short synopsis, say four pages, three to four, and then write from that. That's enough for me. With espionage, I do a chapter outline. So I don't do it sort of one chapter at a time, but sort of chapters one to four, this will happen, chapters five to eight, that will happen. And um, I think my synopsis was about this chapter outline was around 12 pages before I started writing because the, the the plots are just so twisty. There's a lot going on. And also with book one, with the chase, I really wanted it to move quickly. So I needed there to be no dragging. I needed there to be no, no long, you know, no moments where I dropped that intensity because they're terrified. Like they're on the move. You can't have them having really long conversations um, about like their feelings. Like there's just no time for that. And I know some books do that and I like it sometimes, but it's not what I wanted. I wanted the adrenaline rush. I wanted it to feel all the way through breathless. And um, so I had it carefully outlined, tightly plotted, and I'd taken out chapters from my outline before I even started writing. And I wrote it very quickly. I tried to write this one fast because I had a, I wanted it to to have minimal distractions, minimal descriptions, all the things that slow you down when you're reading. I wanted to take it all out. I wanted to just like bring it right down to the bare bones of the story and just have it turn it into what it was. I wanted it to be a chase. I wanted it to be a foot race, 350 pages of running. Two questions about that process, about how fast paced this book is. You mentioned character development. If you can't have your characters really stop and have a deep conversation about why they're doing it and a lot of exposition and the background of who they are, how are you developing these characters? How are you letting the audience and readers know who they are through the action? How tough is that? It is tricky. Um, In this case, I tried to, I judiciously, (laughs) I hope, sprinkled through um, flashbacks. So there are, I think, eight flashbacks in the book. The flashback, there's one flashback chapter that's quite long. And my editor and I went back and forth on it whether I should keep it because it is a proper, almost a mini story within the story. And so that's the only one I allowed myself, but it in itself is a story of her, of my main character doing something exciting. So it's almost like she's 
it's a story of, of her as a, her first everything she did as a spy. And so the first time she went undercover, the first time she, she risked her life. So it's a kind of a short, breathless story within the speed store, the speed of the story. So those flashbacks, we were just really careful with them. They are there and you get to see her training, the, my spy training. You get to see her why she decides to become a spy. You get a little flashback to her childhood where you see basically you know, what her connection is to this world from her very beginning. Um, doing those as carefully as I could and as rarely as I could, and my editor and I were very focused on making sure there weren't too many, that they weren't too long. Um, you get to see, you get to know her. And of course, she does have conversations with the man she's rescuing. It is a two-hander for most of the book. You see, at the very beginning of the book, you see, you meet her boss, who's her mentor, who gives her the assignment. And so I get to lay that connection there. So, and, I, and then I leave that because she's off and she's on her own with Michael, the man she's rescuing for 20 pages and 20, 20 chapters. I mean, it's just the two of them. It's two-hander and the people who are chasing them, who they occasionally encounter. And then at the ending, then there's a sort of a, a section at the end where it's wrapped up, where you get to meet more or less her entire team, but you've already met them to in a bit, to, to a certain extent in the flashbacks, who, which are short introductions. So what I'm hoping is by having these little short, little flashes, and also she's concussed at the beginning of the book. So that's my um, mechanism by which she keeps having these thoughts about her background because she's just hit the daylights out of her head. And so she can't keep her thoughts focused and she really needs to, and she's aware. And so then gradually the flashbacks decline as her head gets better over the 12 hours and her focus improves. And by then we know her and by then, then we can just focus on the running. So it's a bit of a wheeze. It's a bit, um, it was a bit tricky, but we, uh, you know, we did work really hard to make sure that we didn't lose the pace. If this were to be a longer book with with more uh, with spy thrillers that take place over a week or so, the, the believability of things happening is absolutely fine. Like we can believe that there might be an explosion one day and then something else happens the next day and something else might happen a few days after that. That's fine. The timeline is, isn't worried about. When you're condensing everything into 12 hours and you've got to fill 300 pages with interesting action-packed stuff, how much were you worried about um, making sure there wasn't too much going on that could believably happen in a day. Yeah, it's funny. I was really worried about that at the start, genuinely, because I've never tried to write condensed time before. But the conceit of the novel is that the Russian government has hacked London CCTV cameras. And that system is comp is comprehensive. And they have to, she has to get Michael across London without being caught on camera. Um, because the facial recognition software is so good. And I based this on the simple fact that the CCTV system is how we catch criminals. And it's used by um, counterterrorism all the time. And it is really good. It's the best in the world. So if she has to get across London without being cross caught on camera, and the one, the simple, she knows from the beginning, this is impossible. And she knows they're going to get caught. Um, but she, she has no choice. This is her job. And you, what else can they do? So they have to go on foot. Um, the, all the, the CCTV on public transport is too good. 
Um, and on the roads, it's too good. And there's CCTV and taxis. And also they can't use any technology because it's too easily traced. So the, they get caught a lot. They get the fact is they they do get caught a lot. They have to fight their way out of it. They keep getting they keep running into the Russians. The Russians keep finding them, and that is the thing that slows them down enough to make it work in my mind. And also, they have to take this route that takes them through. I research where the CCTV cameras are and where the black spots are, and parks, um, canals, tunnels. Those are places where you can go without being caught on camera. There's, when you get to central London, there's almost no place. There, there is simply, there's nowhere to go. Um, and so that is what keeps it working, I think, because it's not believable that they wouldn't, that they would move quickly. They would simply get caught. They'd get slowed down. They'd have to take this weird route. And crossing London on foot is, is time consuming. They have to get from Camden to Vauxhall um, on foot without walking on the main roads. So yeah, it works in a really weird way. I was surprised it worked, but it did force me to use things that I wouldn't normally have used, like underground rivers, which I'm mildly obsessed with, and um, and Regent's Park and just the the Camden um, canals, things like that, things that I know from having lived in London for years and years. It was, um, it's surprisingly difficult. If you start looking into trying to get anywhere in London without being caught on camera, it's almost impossible. Uh, lastly, what font do you write with? Times New Roman. Standard, straight off the bat. <laughs> Can't write with anything else. That is it for this week's episode of Rice's Routine. Thank you so much to Ava Glass for coming on the show. You can get a copy of her brand new book, The Chase in the UK. It's called Alias Emma. It's out right now. We will be back next week with Sally Page. She's the author of the book, The Keeper of Stories. If you're in the UK, if you've been to like a Waterstones at all recently and looked in the window, you will have seen this book. It is all over the place. We talked to Sally about the story behind that story, how she got it down next week on the show. In the meantime, if you're looking for help with your planning, with your plotting, you can find a very straightforward way to get that done by going to go.plotter.com forward slash routine. Brilliant software. They're supporting the show right now. And by buying it through that link, you get 10% off thanks to Writer's Routine. Give that a try if you fancy, and I will see you next week with Sally Page. Oh, make sure you send over the best book you've read this year, writersroutine.com. I'm sorry to constantly chuck links at you. That'll be it, I think, next week with Sally Page. I'll see you there. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.